Hello everyone, welcome to Tennis with an Accent. This is Sakib and uh, we are talking with Sasa Ozma who was down under in Australia covering the Australian Open Championships for Sports Club. Uh, welcome Sasa, thanks for doing this. Thank you, thanks for calling me. Yeah, no, last we spoke uh, was uh, right after Novak Djokovic's loss at Roland Garros. That was like seven months ago. A lot of uh, things have happened since in the tennis world. And uh, we'll get to Djokovic and his win and his status as world number one. But let's talk about the new version of Davis Cup that just uh, concluded uh, yesterday uh, with a new format that's already out there. A lot of opinions, a lot of players, a lot of fans uh, uh, not happy about it. But then some are also saying let's accept uh, what the change is and give it a chance. So Serbia uh, played uh, this weekend and they had they were represented by Krajanovic and uh, Dusan Lajovic. So talk about the weekend and uh, what what you make of the new concept where there's a best of three sets. And uh, this was the only, I think, uh, week where it's going to be home in away ties because the big show is going to be the finals that's going to be in one location in Madrid. Yes, maybe a bit harder than expected. Serbia has beaten Uzbe- Uzbekistan. It took them five matches and Kainovic was losing to to uh, a guy that's barely inside top 600 so it was kind of a surprise but you could tell you could tell that he's a way better player and so in the end it, the outcome was the expected one as for the as for the new format I, I don't have anything against it to be honest I think the old Davis Cup as we now call it was uh, was a bit outdated and uh, it wasn't as followed as much until the later rounds, only the countries that made it, let's say, to the semis have given it I- enough attention. But I'm not sure about the early rounds. And uh, you could see in the in the last, let's say, 10, 15 years that the best players weren't playing constantly. So, yes, there, there, there are, of course, some downsides, like the home and away matchups. Uh, and uh, there, there won't be home and away ties anymore, no crowd stuff like that but on the other on the other hand you'll have one big competition the only thing i think is wrong with it it's the date and uh, that is not wrong with the davis cup with the new davis cup per se but with the situation in tennis in general i think we need to have one unique team competition in a date that su- in a day on a date that suits everybody and the, with the date like this at the end of the season i mean the players are complaining about the length of the season as it is and putting one big competition at least it wants to be a big competition at the end of the season I don't th- I don't see how that how that suits anyone and uh, I mean just like the old Davis Cup it depends on who's playing if the best players are not playing again then I guess it's it's going to be a failure all over again but if in case they do play it's 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 gonna be a successful story because I think the quality is concentrated and in one week you can you can gain the media attention you can you can do a lot of other stuff that uh, uh, we weren't able to do with the with the old format but we'll see how it develops I think the all of the factors they need to sit down at one table and talk it through and have one big team competition that I think that would be best for tennis. Like this new Davis Cup and the ATP Cup and the Labor Cup. I mean, the people are getting confused, especially the ones who don't follow tennis as closely as some of us maybe. And they think the it's one of the goals is to spread 
tennis, to spread the tennis message to those people who don't follow it as much. And this is just the wrong way to do it. As I said, it is just confusing. So let me ask you this. Uh, you were you were in Australia, and I'm sure uh, there were a lot of uh, time uh, at this time of the year, a lot of conversations because that's the first big event of the year, and uh, uh, there has been a lot of other topics going around in the ATP, which we can get later on. But uh, you did mention the ATP Cup is coming, and Davis Cup. Were there any conversations with players that you were part of? And uh, because a lot of top players, like you said, will be missing this action. Uh, at the end of the year, which is the new format of the Davis Cup. But then in January next year, there's a new ATP, ATP World Team Cup, which is coming back after eight years on the tour. I wouldn't say it's coming back because it's, a, I mean, maybe it's the same name, but it's a, it's a bit of a different story. And they say it's 750 ATP points are up for grabs, but uh, they haven't detailed it yet. So we don't know what to expect, and the format is a bit complicated. So we'll see. As for the as for the per- first part of your question, question there wasn't much talk about it. To be honest, I mean it was the first grand grand slam of the season. All eyes were on the matches, and uh, early on there were some talks about the ATP Council and the position of Chris Kermode. But the Davis Cup and ATP Cup uh, topics weren't uh, in focus as much. Uh, is there anything uh, you want to shed light on that you might have covered for you know the Serbian language that didn't really um, uh, make out? Uh, you think on the English outlets uh, topics regarding Chris Kermode and the player council were you part of those conversations in the media room? Oh, I have been part of the conversations in the media room. It was mainly it was mainly asked uh, the, those questions were mainly asked to Djokovic as he is the president of ATP Council, but so far nothing conclusive. Has been uh, uh, has been out there in the public, and I, I I don't think we we can tell we can tell what is going to be the the outcome of all that. Will Chris Kermode continue to be the president or not? And uh, later on in the second mm-hmm. week, as matches were getting bigger and more important, no one was mentioning it anymore. So it was like solely focused on tennis. So let's uh, take that opportunity to focus on the man of the hour, Novak Djokovic. Last we spoke uh, was uh, after his loss to Cecchinato in Roland Garros. And then you told me that, you know, uh, he was meeting with the press in a smaller room and uh, at that point, he was very disappointed because he had played uh, some of his best tennis uh, while he was trying to, you know, come back from the injury. And now we know rest is history. So, so this Djokovic is again the man to beat, and uh, he looked pretty good uh, in his uh, last few matches against Puy and Nadal. And uh, again, you know, at that level, he's not making any statements, but the field has to be warned of his level. And uh, wh- what was your takeaway when you spoke with him uh, in your language and? Uh, uh, what was the mood? Is he, you know, is he, uh, is he very pleased to be there, or is he a man with the focus? You know, the focus that was there in the years of his dominance. Were there any differences? That's what I'm trying to ask because you've covered the man very close quarters, like no one else has. Any differences to what? Uh, just uh, did you see any difference? Because you know, like he's back at that familiar spot, which is the top ranking. Uh, something that you picked on uh, the, in this version of Novak. Of course, you know, he loves tennis and he's back and he's going to dominate it. But uh, when you cover someone closely, were you any differences overall in his game, in his avatar, in the press conferences? Of course, you know, we grow as people. So any, any significant changes that you saw? Again, I don't know changes to, to what state. I mean, obviously, uh, since we last spoke, and I'd say just a pretty good 
is uh, much of an understatement for his last two matches because the level was sensational. I don't think I've ever seen play tennis anyone play tennis like that, especially in the match against Nadal, considering the stakes and the uh, rival and everything. But when we spoke in Paris, as you pointed out, I, I've said that the strokes were there, that he, he's playing very well again, especially comparing to that Indian Wells and Miami that was perhaps the lowest point of his professional career. But the mental part was missing and uh, he was he was losing key points. That was the case in Queen's final that followed as well. But then everything changed at Wimbledon. He's won a couple of really good match matches. He had a he had a rather difficult draw with Edmund Hachanov and Nishikori leading up to the match with Nadal. And uh, I mean, it's obvious that that uh, match with Nadal at Wimbledon was the crossroads. I mean, he needed to be in order for us to say that Novak is really back. He needed to have a big match on a big stage with one of his biggest rivals, and that was that match with Nadal, even if he had lost it deep in the fifth, which could have happened. I mean, Rafa was only a point away probably from the from winning the match with all those break points in the fifth set. I mean, you could still say, we could have still said that he's back, even if he had lost it, but he didn't lose it. He won that match, and as you said, the rest is history. He started, uh, he started dominating again. I mean, level of his play in Shanghai, for example, it was... It was extraordinary. I mean, no one could, no one could touch it. And uh, in at the U.S. Open, uh, at the U.S. Open, he was good. In my opinion, that was perhaps his easiest Grand Slam title in terms of rivals, uh, because he didn't have to face uh, uh, neither of his biggest rivals. In, in the end, he played Milman in the quarters, Nishikori in the semis, and Del Potro in the finals. He lost only two sets. None of the sets from third. Uh, from third round on. So, I mean, yeah, he, he, he does not like to compare himself, let's say, am I the same player that I was in 2015 and the uh, first half of 2016? He says he's a different player, a different person as well. And I think that's the, that's the right attitude. Thanks for answering that because that's where I was trying to go because, you know, in our world, uh, when we talk tennis and we talk greatness and we talk Novak, you know, and, and even his rivals, there's always this temptation to compare them. And I don't want to sound repetitive because I've asked this question to almost everyone who's uh, seen uh, the resurgence of Djokovic. But at the same time, I wanted to hear it from you. So let's talk about the Medvedev match because that's the only match in this tournament where he was tested. And uh, Daniel Medvedev came in with some sort of confidence, which you need, you know, uh, especially the young guns have the confidence when they're playing these legends. So what do you think of that match? And when that match uh, ended, uh, were you concerned about Novak's form or, or you were pretty, uh, what do you have seen in the last six months? You were pretty sure that, you know, he'll rise to the occasion once again, because I picked him to win the final, but I thought finals going to be a lot closer, but he came out and just absolutely played one of the best matches of his life. I mean, everyone thought that the final is, uh, was going to be a lot closer. I mean, I don't think anyone, anyone could have foreseen that Rafa would win only, like, what was it, eight games in three sets. But going back to Medvedev match, I think the history shows that uh, Novak most of the times, not most of the times, but plenty of times he's had uh, an early test a match similar to one with Medvedev, and then he went on to win the title. That's especially the case in Australia. If you remember 2013, he and it's in the fourth round always. It's the famous fourth round for him. 2013, it was that match with Vavrinka in the fourth round, that famous match. I think he won uh, 
10, 8 in the fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe even maybe even uh, a few games more. I can't I can't remember now. And then uh, three years ago, it was Gilles Simon, the match where he made 104 errors and still went on to win. So I was not concerned about his level at uh, just because of that because I knew I knew that he I mean it's not the first time that's happened you can remember Wimbledon 2014 as well he played he didn't play well at all in the quarters against Cilic in the semis against Dimitrov but then when the final with Federer came he just as you said rose to the occasion and played his best level again so I wasn't worried in terms of level And as for the match with Medvedev, uh, I was pretty surprised by the Russian's tactics. I mean, it was a match similar to one with Gilles Simon, and I've watched Medvedev a lot, and I know he's a, more, a lot more uh, offensive-minded, more aggressive player, but he chose different tactics. He chose to to make it physical, and in the end, he paid he paid the price for it, I, I can say, because he did trouble Djokovic, but in the end, he couldn't uh, he couldn't last physically with him. And uh, before the match, Novak told us in Serbian press, I mean, uh, he's, he told us, I'm ready to run the marathon. I'm ready to play five sets if, if it's needed. We'll see if he's ready to do that. And uh, in a way, he was right because while Medvedev could still breathe, let's say, he, he was giving him all sorts of trouble. But as soon as he physically dropped down, you could see that Novak is going to Put that match away, even though he wasn't physically at his best as well. But uh, he, Novak doesn't like these kind of matches, but he usually wins them. So I mean, that says something about his physical state, but about his mental side as well. Yeah, that's quite true. I think, uh, and even we can also throw the match against Anderson in Wimbledon 2015 yeah. to the list of you know tough matches, and he definitely has a, a knack of you know rising to the occasion and. Uh, Like many great champions, you know, he plays some a tricky match, like you said. Uh, so I know players don't like to talk about this. Uh, not sure if this question was asked, but he's already, you know, in the conversation for repeating uh, four majors in a row, which will make him, you know, quite unique. He's already done it once since uh, Labor. He was only man to held all four, and now he can do a second Novak uh, Slam. And uh, what is your opinion? Uh, you think this conversation is a little too early, but you know, we can't escape it. You think it's just between him and Rafa, or I know clay season is a couple of months away. Dominic team is supposedly, you know, down with some sort of a mono-like symptom. I heard, not sure if it's, uh, uh, it's you know, what kind of story is out there. But uh, it, it's definitely a two-man race right now. What is your view of the upcoming clay season? Uh, the question was asked, of course. I mean, it's logical. It's only logical to ask that question when he's won three in a row again. I mean, it is still far away. But uh, I don't see I don't see Novak uh, dropping down, and I don't see and I I can I mean Rafa hasn't played in five months leading up to this tournament, and I think uh, everyone kind of forgotten that uh, because of the way he played it throughout the tournament, and he certainly I mean Novak played lights out. I mean uh, he would have beaten best Nadal on that day, but it it wasn't the one hundred percent from Rafa, and I expect him to to do what he has always done when he's coming back from an injury, and that is to slowly pick up his confidence on clay and to reach his highest level uh, in Paris. So it's going to be a very, very difficult task for Novak to, to beat him. Uh, as you said, uh, as of this moment, it looks like a two-man race, but I think Zverev is due for a breakthrough somewhere. 
he has to do it somewhere and i mean he's too good to to never to never make that breakthrough and he's pretty good on clay uh as for team, yeah, we'll have. We'll, as for team, we'll just have to wait and see what is his health situation. But if he is healthy, he's uh, he's a threat on clay. And let's not forget how demanding clay is, and uh, and that the upsets can happen. I mean, uh, Novak had some really difficult matches throughout the years in Paris. I mean, even the year he won, he had that the tough match with uh, Bautista Gut, and in 2012 he was down to sets to love. To Seppi, so I mean, I know it's a cliche, but uh, anything can happen, especially when we're talking about something that is going to happen in uh, four four months' time. But uh, Novak uh, is what I can say is that Novak is highly motivated, and he didn't. Uh, let's say he didn't run away from that question. He didn't say like, "Oh, it's too early. I can't speak about that." He said, "Yes, I want it." He said that he did not want to sound arrogant, but if he if he had done it once. He, he doesn't see the reason that uh, he can't do it twice. And uh, the other thing is, uh, l- last year, for example, he was just trying to pick up his best form to see if he can get back to the old level. And this year, he'll be able to dedicate uh, himself more to the specifics of clay. And that's what we spoke about with him. And also, I spoke with his coach, Marian Vaida. And... Uh, the emphasis is going to be on the clay season in terms of working the specific muscles that are most important for clay, specific uh, pattern of points that are more, let's say, that that occur more in on clay on clay courts. So yes, uh, it, it is a big goal for him to win uh, Paris again, and it wouldn't just be the completion of another Nola Slam four in a row. He would become the only one. Uh, uh, the only one in the open era, uh, of course, besides uh, that, that that holds uh, at least two of the Grand Slam titles at each slam. Rafa had a chance to do that in Melbourne. Novak has won more than twice anywhere but in Paris. So there's another there's another motivation as well. But I can I can definitely see him. I mean, the way he is playing and especially these last two matches in Melbourne and the way he is mentally now and. Uh, I think there is just that extra fire in him because he's never had to endure or experience something like something like what happened to him with the injury and the fall and the loss of joy for tennis. And I think what is happening to him now, he, he appreciates it even more than before. So he, he's just he's whole, he's going to hold on to it tightly and go as far as he can with it. I don't think there is a there is a danger for his loss of motivation or something like that, at least in the foreseen future. Yeah, I don't see that coming either. And like you said, I think we are all uh, humans, you know, we are, as people, we react uh, differently, even though these guys we're talking about are exceptional champions. But I think, yeah, that kind of that kind of a low was good for Djokovic in a way to rediscover himself. And now he's back at his best and, and you know, as a standard of the game. And let's talk about the field. So I know the two of his rivals, you know, have been there forever and they are still, you know, uh, Nadal's number two, Federer's number six. So let's talk about these guys and the field. How does, and where does the competition come from this year? So what do you make of Federer's uh, decision to play clay? Did you see that coming? Because I know there was talks about that. So now he's going to play some clay. We don't know what tournaments, I mean, but yes, it looks like but, uh, he might play a uh, 1,000 leading up to Federer, of course, he's uh, uh, probably the greatest of all time. He's won 20 slams and everything. We know that. 
but he hasn't been a factor on clay in, in some time. He hasn't played on it for the last two years. So to be to be completely honest, I don't know uh, quite what to make of it. Is it some sort of uh, um, maybe that's one thing he wants to do before he retires? Is this something that he wants to tell us that he is possibly retiring at the end of the season or something like that? I mean, he can he can still play well on clay, but I think he can lose to a lot of players on clay that he can't lose on hard courts and grass. So, to be perfectly honest, honest, I don't see him as as a big of a threat on clay in terms of winning Roland Garros or something like that. I, I was thinking more like this could be a ploy, like you said, it could be a good buy if he doesn't want to play clay again or Paris again. But this also could be to gain points because he probably wants to go in at Wimbledon as a top eight seed because he lost a lot of points by losing to Tsitsipas in Australia. So I'm sure. Again, I mean, uh, this is all spe- speculation, what led to the decision. So maybe this was uh, a backup plan in his mind. But I think he rather play Novak or Nadal in Wimbledon quarters or later than that's play them in the fourth round. I, if I he mean, was, Wimbledon you know, can, uh, can put him maybe higher up. And in, I, I think reasons. in case he falls out of the top eight, then they're going to put him higher up. And based on their formula that uh, takes in regard the grass results, I mean, he's up there. So perhaps, but maybe no. Yeah. So let's talk about his games. Did you get to catch any of his games live in Australia? Uh, and if fine. you did, what I was mean, his uh, level okay. like he had a compared to tough, what you've seen first, recently? Tough two sets with Evans, but uh, it, it just depends on context. Now that he lost, you could uh, that he lost to Tsitsipas, you can say that maybe you could have seen some sort of weakness uh, there in his match with Evans. But uh, personally, I don't think so. It's... Uh, I mean, these biggest players, they often have some sort of slow starts to some of their matches in the early rounds. And it's, uh, uh, I think we can make a big deal out of it. And I think Tsitsipas played the uh, played perfect match, to be honest. I mean, uh, Feather had a lot of break points in the second set when, when he was one set up to love, one set to love up. And probably if he had used any of them, he, he would have won in three or four sets. I mean, it's not like he played the worst match of his career. It's not like uh, he was completely out of source, completely below his level. It's just that Tsitsipas played a really great match and he wasn't broken for the entire match. And then in, he, in, the, in the next two matches against Bautista and against Anal, he was broken in the first game, in his first service game. But uh, uh, I don't think that was much to Federer. Uh, I don't think we can blame Federer a lot. Of course, he did have his chances but Tsitsipas served uh, really well on almost all of those break points and he played really boldly and to be completely honest he was lucky on some points as well so I think it was a few points here and there we can't say that Federer played an awful tournament and in case and had he won against Tsitsipas I mean he would have beaten Bautista surely and then who knows I mean, but that's tennis for you. I mean, Feather and all of these players have won these matches. He's lost one now. and uh, uh, But I don't think that that's the reason to write him off. If you if you see last three slams, he did lose early. But against Anderson at Wimbledon, he, he was two sets to love up. And he had a match point in the third. And it's not like he choked. I mean, Anderson played brilliantly. I don't know if you watched that match, but especially in the fifth set, he really held his own. He held his nerve. So it's not like Federer choked. At the US Open, we all know what happened. I mean, it was a huge upset, I know. 
but believe me, those conditions in New York were inhuman. I mean, you, you could you could barely breathe. And right now, Tsitsipas played the match of his life and tournament of his life. So, yes, Federer is more prone now to losing these kind of matches, but he's not. Uh, but his level, his level of uh, of game is still there. And you know, as players like to say, if he keeps uh, putting himself in that position, he he can still be a huge threat at the Slams, especially at Wimbledon at US Open. That's it. And uh, definitely, we don't want to shortchange Tsitsipas. Like you said, you know, he had to take his chances, and sometimes you make your own luck. And uh, so Tsitsipas beat Federer in four sets, a classic match. They also played uh, two tie breaks in the Hopman Cup. But then, you know, with his game style and the one hand backhand, he found out how hard it is to play Rafael Nadal. And uh, that kind of also gives a good measure of uh, the Federer-Nadal rivalry and even some of the other one-hand backhand players like Tommy Haas and Stan Wawrinka and Richard Gasquet. That overall, they have all struggled against Rafa Nadal. So what do you make of that semi-final? Sissipas came prepared like a young man. He he had a good belief with respect. He wanted to win that match, but Nadal showed him uh, you know, what the gap is right now. And you think that's just the style matching up and Sissipas eventually has to find out? Because in three matches against Nadal, he has not even got to, say, a 7-5 or a tiebreaker. They have been pretty routine sets so far. Uh, yes, but um, both of those tournaments they played, they played Toronto finals and they played semis here. I mean, those were two tournaments where um, it was uh, quite unique and a new situation for Tsitsipas, you know, because uh, those were his best tournaments and he's had to endure a lot emotionally. I mean, in Toronto, he's beaten Djokovic, he's beaten Zverev, he's beaten uh, a lot of good players and then had to play Rafa. And here he's had the match of his life with Feather and everything that happened afterwards. He was in, uh, he was the center of media attention, everyone's attention. So I think that was it was uh, emotionally and mentally draining. I'd like him to, I'd like, I'd like to see him play Rafa. Let's say more fresher when he's fresher mentally. So I don't think he he would win, but I I think he'd put up a bigger fight. Having said that, of course, in tennis it's lot it's lot about matchups, and Rafa has traditionally uh, has traditionally measured well with one-handed backhands. But here in Australian Open, I don't think the the thing that makes Rafa so one-handed. Sorry, the thing that makes Rafa play so well against one-handed backhands is, is that he's heavy top spin on his forehand. But here in Australia, the surface and the conditions were. Well, were that way that that spin didn't pick up as well as some other tournaments. So I don't think that that matchup specifically one-headed backhand was the key. It's just that Rafa played tremendously well. He's attacking tennis throughout the whole tournament, and Tsitsipas was a bit worn down. I mean, he uh, he played uh, he he didn't win one match in straight sets. He had a a really tough opponent in Bautista Good because Bautista Good is the kind of guy that doesn't give you anything and he had to play him uh, after the biggest match of his life. So it was a tough task as well. And then to go on and uh, and play Rafa, I think it's really hard. And Rafa didn't give him anything. Mm-hmm. He was hitting everything. So And the match was kind of uh, quickly gone from uh, from Tsitsipas' hand. But I think he in the, ne- in the next match, let's say if it's not clay, on grass or on hardcore, I think he's going to put up uh, a much bigger fight. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about Nadal. I know we already spoke about him briefly in the context of Djokovic and that, uh, you know, the 
the final they played, but uh, Nadal came in and uh, gave everyone, uh, you know, a, a glimpse of what his ability is when he's playing healthy, even though some might say the draw was a little kind, but then my theory is if the draw is kind you, kind, you still have to beat them in the way, and Nadal didn't really give anyone a chance. And uh, that could be the undoing, like you said, he hasn't played a match in five months, and his draw didn't really prepare him for Djokovic. So, what can we make of, you know, Nadal's hardcore performances? Last year was pretty heartbreaking for him. He played solid, one Toronto, but the other two events he could not finish, which were the both, both major tournaments. So, now a loss to Djokovic is, uh, uh, you know, it's probably a good report card for him where his game stands because if he has to win an, a major, even at clay or outside of clay, uh, he might have to go through, you know, Djokovic because most roads will go through him right now in current form. So, what do you make of Rafa's run? And uh, if you take that final in the context, he hasn't played in five months. It was a great Novak Djokovic across the net. So in a nutshell, what do you think of Rafael Nadal's game right now, approaching uh, the 2019 season? I think Rafa is on the right track. I mean, obviously, he hasn't played in five months. And to be able to play the finals going there without losing a set, I mean, he, he really looked ominously good. I mean... You can say, of course, the draw was kind, but you can't choose your opponents. He's had some potentially tricky opponents in Deminor, TFO, but he made them. I mean, as Tsitsipas said, after the match, he makes you look bad and he makes you play bad. And that's just Rafa. And uh, we, we talked with Carlos Moya about his new serve motion. And the fact that, he's, uh, that he lands inside the baseline after his serve now. So I think that's one point of emphasis for Rafa to for Rafa in the future. He's going to have in order to prolong his career. Uh, he's going to have to play shorter points. He's going to uh, have to be more aggressive uh, in the first one or two shots after the serve and uh, not play as many long rallies as he has played in the in the past. And he can do that. I mean, he's a he can be offensive minded player. Uh, because he builds his points so well and he's thinking all the time. You can you can almost feel his brain works when he starts to build points. So it's in a, let's say, general... I, th- I think he's on the right track. I mean, he, he analyzed his game perfectly after that loss to Djokovic. He came, he came to the press conference like uh, you could tell he wasn't devastated or anything. He, he, you could just say that that was the reality at the moment. He said he didn't have a lot of time to work on his defensive game. He did miss a lot of routine forehands for him in uh, in that match with Djokovic. But as you pointed out, he didn't have a huge test leading up to leading up to the finals, which was good in a way because he was physically more fresher, but bad on the other side because he didn't uh, he didn't have to endure uh, some hard mental test that would prepare him for Djokovic uh, better. But uh, as a general assessment, I think he's on the right track. And as I've said before, he's going to build up his confidence on clay slowly but surely. And I expect him to be at his top level by Roland Garros. And I expect him to be, if not the first favorite, then the co-favorite with Djokovic. But I, to be honest, I expect him to be the first favorite because, I mean, Philippe Chatrier is his home. He's won there 11 times, which is just out of this world. So, yes, uh, I think there is a lot of good tennis in Rafa still, and then he can go on to win a few more slams. 
No, obviously, there's a lot of uh, great tennis left in Nadal. If you, you know, we can only look at his results in the last uh, 14, 15 months outside of clay. He's played great. He lost to Djokovic in that uh, classic semifinal at Wimbledon. And then the other two majors uh, last year, he didn't finish because of uh, injury. Uh, but Djokovic-Nadal, the rivalry, you know, has had many... You know, uh, moments just like most great matchups. But uh, there's there's an intriguing fact that I'm sure you know very well, but a lot of people pointed this out to me, uh, that since uh, Nadal beat Djokovic in New York in the 2013 final at the U.S. Open, uh, he hasn't won a set against Djokovic on hard courts. And that's kind of uh, a very... A big stat in this, uh, you know, in this in this rivalry of two uh, great players. And uh, for the longest time, Djokovic said that he was, uh, you know, following Federer and Nadal. Then he broke through, and then I'm sure the other two have tried to uh, keep pace with him because uh, in the last five six years, except uh, that period when Djokovic wasn't uh, playing well, like you said, he lost joy of tennis. He has been the standard. So what do you see is the matchup pattern like why Nadal, you know, of all these years uh, since 2013 is struggling to even win a set of Djokovic outside of uh, actually, especially on hard courts? Uh, I mean, we would I think we would have to look at uh, some of these matches and see what the context was. But uh, of course, when when you win that much and with that, uh, uh, of course, there is a pattern there. I mean, as for points-wise, I think it's simple. Uh, Novak is the only one that that can hold up those cross-court exchanges with his backhand to Rafa's forehand. And not just to hold his own, but he's able to hit through him. And, I mean, that's the pattern that uh, makes it a lot more easier for Djokovic and for the other guys to play Nadal. And the fact that Novak has... uh, that powerful back and down the line in his arsenal makes it easier as well because he can play he can play to Rafa's forehand and then open up that side and just put it put it up the line. So that's in my opinion that was the key pa- pattern for Novak to beat Nadal in 2011 on clay two times in Madrid and Rome. As for the hard courts, if you remember that U.S. Open final 2013, Novak played a really good match. But, but Rafa was on completely other planet that day and that tournament. He served spectacularly. And uh, I think the way he was serving throughout this Australian Open, uh, he has led many people to believe, to believe that it was going to be a, a, really, a really closer match than some of their previous encounters on, on hard courts. But even in the early stages of their careers, even though Rafa has won two US Open finals on Novak, I mean on hard on hard courts, Novak always had the had the upper hand. It's his favorite surface and then that is where he feels at his best. And I I think for Novak uh, the biggest thing with playing Nadal is his mindset. He needs uh Rafa makes him awake and alert from the first point and he needs he knows he needs to stay aggressive. I mean, you could see, for example, match against Medvedev. You, he knows that he can maybe pull through with not being as aggressive, not hitting through on his shots, not playing that deeply, but just hang in there and possibly uh, I, I can win this. But he knows when he plays Nadal that he needs to step up, that he needs to be more aggressive. And I think that knowledge before the match, matches actually makes it easier for Novak because he's at his best when he's hitting the ball early because he can change, he can change the direction of the ball with almost any shot. And I don't think uh, many of the players can, can do that. So yeah, those are some of the keys to his, uh, 
to his uh, success over Nadal on hard courts, but in general as well. I mean, he has beaten him, uh, as you pointed out, on uh, at Wimbledon, and he's 28 to 25 up now, and he was losing. But I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you've heard of this uh, of this data. But b- before 2011, he was uh, Djokovic was 13 and 29 against Federer and Nadal combined, and from 2011 onwards, he's 14 and 18. So that's a huge turnaround. It is a huge turnaround, and we all have been witnesses because you know this turnaround, uh, like Djokovic himself has said so many times, and uh, you know he gives so much respect to his two rivals, and uh, he's been able to you know uh, get the measure of both great men at at, at many key moments, and uh, even for Federer, I think at 2015 U.S. Open final, when Federer had quite a few opportunities in that match, and you know during sets he was you know up in service games, not actually in scoreboard. He, he, he thought he played a great match, but Djokovic kept, you know, doing, uh, kept executing his game plan. And, you know, we all know how that final played. And Djokovic won, you know, the 2015 US Open. Federer said after the match, like after the game like today, we both learned a lot about each other's game. So I know like uh, between the top three, this kind of uh, measuring stick keeps going. Uh, so let's talk about uh, players outside the top. Uh, these, these three guys, or these two guys, like Federer and Nadal, who, who are some of the stiffest challenges for Novak Djokovic this year, uh, leading from last year and what we've seen early this year? Sasha Zverev is a name that keeps coming up, but then his major exits have been quite questionable. Uh, losing to Milos Raonic is not a bad loss, but the manner this match was played out, I missed it because in a different time zone, I was asleep. I woke up to see the third set and then I went to bed. So... What's going on in Zverev? I know he's been the talk of the tennis, uh, you know, media centers and, you know, fans. Everybody's waiting for this guy to step up. But it looks like uh, in major still there's a lot of work to be done. Of course. I mean, he, he made a name for himself uh, really early. So that's why he is the center of attention for quite some time now. But let's not forget he's still 21 years old and he's still really young. Even though he's had some major success on master tournaments, and he was able to beat Djokovic and win uh, and win in London, those are all huge results, and uh, that uh, makes me certain that it's just a matter of time before he breaks through at the slams. I mean, he has all the tools, and I think uh, the one tool that makes him specifically hard for Novak is that he can. Uh, serve the lights out as he has in the first set of their finals in London but but he can also he can also hold his own in backhand exchanges because uh, Zverev has a rather stable and firm backhand and uh, I don't think many of many of the players can uh, play with that kind of uh, confidence and that kind of uh, depth uh, against Novak's backhand backhand to backhand exchanges so I think that's the one uh, uh, there's the one thing that uh, Novak will have to to address, let's say, and in combination with the Zverev serve, as I mentioned, that's a that's a pretty tough matchup for for Novak. He lost to Tsitsipas as well, but to be perfectly honest, I think he'll beat him the next time. As for Hachanov, uh, he 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 played the really great the end of last year, but the question for him now is consistency. That that consistency test is perhaps the the biggest in tennis and Zverev has passed that test he still hasn't passed the grand slam test but he is consistent with his good results so we're going to see we're going to have to see if we can get that from Kachanov as well 
I think he I, I think he'll get there. He he is going to have a few hiccups here and there, but I think he's a top ten player for a long time for sure. So and there is some there are some other players like Borna Toric, of course, we mentioned Tsitsipas, and uh, I look for Shapovalov to have a to have a much better season than he had in 2018. I think uh, 2018 was kind of a sophomore season for him after the after that breakthrough in North America in 2017. So he had to like to soak it all in and to be mentally still there. And uh, I, I I think we can expect good results for him from him. We'll see we'll see about Dimitrov and Agassi if he, if he can wake something up in Grigor Andre. Because that middle generation was kind of lost in a way. Uh, Nishikori, Nishikori and Raonic, I mean, there's always a huge question mark about their health with their health and injuries and everything. So we'll see. I think it's going to be very interesting because we have the we have Djokovic and Nadal and Feather. We have many young guys, guns that are threatening to overtake them. They're not quite there yet. But they've been able to beat them, not regularly. But I mean, if you look at the Djokovic uh, three losses of 2018 post Wimbledon losses, they were all two next gen guys to Zverev, to Hachanov, and to Tsitsipas. So I think we're in for a really huge and interesting 2019. And where does this leave uh, Nick Kyrgios in the mix? I know the guy has lost early and, uh, you know, the talent, but at the same time, I don't want to say time's running out. He's still pretty young. But then you look at some of the younger guys, like you mentioned, those all those guys are making their move. And uh, Kyrgios will be playing, I think, a doubles event uh, at the Challenger Circuit in Dallas this week with uh, John Isner, I read somewhere. So uh, he lost early in Australia. Where do you put him in the mix? I know this is all speculation, but uh, you see him reviving at some point this year? I'm not sure about uh, this year. Maybe. But uh, I think we can't write him off. You know, he's uh, he's still, what, 23 years old. And I think I'm pretty positive that uh, at one tournament, stars will align for him, that he will possibly win a Grand Slam title. But in order for him to be more of a consistent presence and to be a top five player, he just needs to work harder. I mean, everybody knows that. It's not like I'm... It's not like this is some huge discovery on my part. And in case he works harder, he's going to stay healthy. And if he stays healthy, we all know what he can do uh, when he when he's at his best level. And one thing about him, he's never scared of the occasion. He's never scared of the of playing big players on big on big stages. So I, I think it would be a welcome addition to the mix. And we'll see if he can work harder and if he can stay healthy for a while. You know, not to have all those back problems and this issue and that issue. I think we he can still be uh, one of the top guys for sure. Yeah, there's definitely you know a lot of ability, but uh, you still have to win matches to keep those big matches on big courts with uh, Nadal and Federer and Djokovic and you know. But yeah, Kyrgios will be. And I, I, I want to see what Wawrinka is able to offer us because he played the. Uh, that was one of the matches of the tournaments, in my opinion. Raonic Wawrinka. It was in the second round. And if he if his knee holds up, I think he can be back in the mix as well. Mm. Yeah, he definitely looked good uh, in this uh, in this first appearance. And then he also he played, I think, good tournament in, in Doha. 
where he won a couple of matches. He beat Hachanov among those uh, opponents there. So let's talk about the two other Serbian players in the top 100. Uh, last time we spoke in uh, Roland Garros, Dusan Lajovic was playing pretty decent tennis. This year he started off well winning two matches, but then he lost three matches in a row. So what do you make of his early start of the year and where is his game at? He's ranked, I think, 42. Uh, let's talk about this uh, uh, him and then we can talk about uh, Krajanovic. Krajanovic, actually. Uh, he is... Uh, uh, Lajovic is playing... Uh, he's not playing well. I mean, he he adopted the, the more aggressive mindset with his tennis, especially with his forehand the last year, and that served him well. He's had a few pretty decent results. I mean, he's number 42 in the world, which is which is quite good, obviously. But uh, this start of the season wasn't very well, and uh, I've seen uh, most of his matches, and even the ones he won, he didn't uh, he didn't play his best tennis. He, so he's going to have to be a lot better in order to keep his ranking and then progress. I mean, uh, he's not on the last year's level, and he's going to have to get back there. How? To be perfectly honest, I'm not quite sure. Let's just say he, if he keeps on working and he keeps on believing that the results will come. I mean, he played quarters in Madrid. He had some really good results, so he, he will have some points to defend. And I think he's if the draw, if at one of the slams, let's say, be, be kind to him, he, he, he might even make a breakthrough at the slams, let's say, reach third round, maybe even fourth round. As for Philip. Uh, Philip is uh, a really, really talented player, and in my opinion, he's he, he's got a top 20, even a top 10 potential uh, if he stays healthy. Of course, he's had uh, injury problems throughout his career, and that's why he he didn't make the most out of his talent. But the one thing about Philip, and we spoke about that uh, at length uh, at this Australian Open, is that he he has changed something his his life. Then he is now more dedicated, and he is uh, prepared to invest in his tennis career in every possible way. I mean, he hired Thomas Johansson. Obviously, he's changed some things in his lifestyle, and he's really ready to give it a go. And he has a lot of points to defend in the next few months, but after that, not so much. And I would look for him to be one of my dark horses for this year. I can really see him making a breakthrough again because he's got all the tools. The only thing he was missing, he he was a bit passive in key moments of the matches, and for no reason, because as I said, he has all the tools to step up. He has a tremendous feel at the net. His backhand is uh, stable. His forehand can uh, vary from time to time, but uh, it's a, mo- it's mostly reliable as well. So he, he doesn't have huge holes in his game. He can work on the second serve, of course, but he played some. He played some good matches. Uh, he's beaten Chekinato after being two sets to Love down. Then he's beaten Donskoy in three. Played two, four sets with Chorich. Uh, I think he could have done better there. Could have been more aggressive because it wasn't Borna's best day as well. Is there a, is there a surface where he's going to likely excel more than the other, like hardcore or clay? Or is he pretty well-rounded? He, he's a complete package. He can play anywhere. I mean, and... Uh, I'm completely 100% sure about this. I mean, he can play anywhere. He can play clay, he can play hard courts, he can even play grass. But uh, oh, 
I say, if he stays healthy, look for him to have some great results and beat some really good players on his way back to top 30, perhaps even top 20. All right, so I think we covered quite a lot, Sasha. Thanks for doing this. Uh, the season on the men's side is looking pretty good with Djokovic being the leader of the pack and then there are a couple other Serbians in the top 100. Nadal and Federer have a thing to say still. Or two, and then uh, of course so there are a lot of uh, next-gen players like Tsitsipas and uh, Zverev and Chorich and Hachan also. Yeah, it's going to be full, fun-filled season. Let's uh, do this again sometime soon, maybe before the clay season. And thanks for everyone who listens to the show, produced by RadioInfluence.com. Uh, our listenership and audience is uh, is growing, and we keep getting good feedback. Please share the podcast. Uh, with your tennis friends and uh, we will return next week with another installment of Tennis with an Accent. Bye for now.